This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and this is the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help parents raise independent, self-sufficient kids without sacrificing their own identity and sense of purpose. I'm here to share practical day-to-day solutions for raising kind, successful, well-adjusted human beings, and actionable advice for supporting systemic changes so we can make this world a more inclusive, accepting place now and for future generations. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 27 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. In this episode, I am going to talk about texting and the impact that it's having on our kids' reading and spelling skills. And I'm actually going to do something a little bit different that I have in the past. As you may know, a lot of the listeners of the show are a combination of parents who are wanting to help their kids and also speech pathologists, because I am a speech pathologist, and I know that I probably have some teachers on the list as well. So In the past, I've really focused on a lot of my resources that were primarily designed with parents in mind, but today I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things that I have created and some of the information that I've created for SLPs, but what I'm going to do is make it still relevant to speech pathologists, but also make it applicable to parents as well, because I do have quite a bit of parents who contact me wanting to know how to help their kids do better in school, how to help their kids who are learning to read, and just overall functioning. So I'm going to dive into some of those topics today. So my area of specialization is language and literacy, so I do get a fair amount of questions about how can I help my kids learn to read or how can I help my students that I'm working with learn to read. And 
today with all of the texting that's going on, obviously one of the things that we want to consider is how do we continue to help our kids to develop good literacy skills? One of the frameworks that I'm going to use to explain this in this episode is something that I've outlined in one of my resources called the Word Study Toolkit. So what this is, is a digital download that provides you with some key vocabulary concepts that your kids need to know in order to be fluent readers. And I'll talk a little bit about why I've included what I have in this episode today that will start to make sense. But just so you're aware, this was originally designed for SLPs, but I do think it's something that can help teachers and parents as well. So I did want to mention it as I present this information today. To get more information about that resource, you can go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash word study. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash word study. Now, this discussion is partially about the impact of technology on literacy, but it's also a discussion of just what kids need in order to be good readers. So as an SLP who specializes in language and literacy, I obviously spend a fair amount of time doing research on different strategies for building language and literacy. But the thing is, is that back when I was in elementary school, I didn't catch on to reading right away. And I had what I like to refer to as the Catholic school version of response to intervention. If you're a parent and you're not familiar with what that means, basically the initiative in the school now is that when kids in the general education curriculum are struggling and they need some extra help, what we do before we initiate any kind of special education referral is that we want to see if we can give kids some kind of intervention that helps them to catch up so that they don't necessarily always need to go to special education. Not that special education is bad. It's just that we want to make sure that we are not putting kids in special ed programs if they don't need it. If we can give them a boost and some kind of a specialized intervention and help them catch up without needing to go through the whole referral process, that's always ideal. And, and of course, it's fine if we do some type of intervention and they do need to go into special ed, but we want to make sure that we're doing the right things for kids, whether that be going into special ed or whether that be just getting some kind of a short-term intervention and then staying in the full general education curriculum. So that's what response to intervention is. And when I say that I had Catholic school RTI, back when I was in school, response to intervention wasn't something that we did officially. It wasn't something that was mandated. And so schools had to just kind of figure out what they were going to do for individual cases and because I went to Catholic school, how that looked for us was that if you needed a little bit of extra help, you got to go into the back office with Sister Marie and work on reading in a small group. For me specifically, it also meant that I had to go to summer school for a couple years to catch up to my peers. 
But for me, thankfully, the odds were in my favor because not only did I have a good education, but I also had an environment that gave me a lot of opportunities to practice the skills that I needed in order for me to get better. Obviously, if you are behind in reading, you need to practice reading in order to get better. And if you don't have a lot of opportunities, it does make it hard to catch up. So luckily for me, my mom always had a huge library of books in the house, so I was never lacking for different materials and things like that. And the other thing was that we weren't allowed to get a Nintendo, which was something I really wanted. So when we were bored, she would encourage us to pick up a book. And so I ended up doing a lot of reading and eventually developed a love for reading And so eventually I did catch up and I didn't have to continue to get that remedial help for the entire time I was in elementary school. And and obviously now that is my area of expertise. So having the right opportunities to practice those skills and really develop literacy and also foster a love for reading was, was really important to me specifically But the other thing is that socializing back then was different. If I wanted to send one of my friends a message, for example, I would write them a paper note and sneak it to them in class or in the hallway between classes. I wouldn't send them a text like you can do nowadays. And communication, reading and writing and entertainment were all different then too. Now, a lot of people spend time on social media and gaming where you can send an instant message to other people. And when you want to socialize, you can simply send your friends a text. And based on the current social rules, often those text messages that happen during those different activities don't have to be written in a complete sentence or with correct grammar and spelling. And so that's why with all of this technology, I find myself wondering, are kids getting enough opportunities to learn those solid reading and writing skills? So I'm especially interested in this topic because a lot of the kids that I've worked with already struggle with reading and writing. And for those kids, having opportunities to develop literacy is is really important. So I'm always on high alert, really paying attention to how technology is affecting kids, for better or for worse. The thing is, though, is that at this point, it's kind of hard to tell exactly what the impact is going to be long term when it comes to texting. So far, the evidence has been kind of inconclusive, and I'll actually link to a blog post that I wrote that does link to some references to back up that statement. I'll link to that in the show notes. But when you look at reading scores from places like the National Center for Education Statistics, the 2020 survey, for example, only shows a slight decline in reading scores from 2017 to 2019. But overall, we're still better than we were compared to the 90s. There are certainly benefits to technology, especially for people with disabilities who need certain accessibility features. In some instances, there's a chance that it actually could be helping. But kids with diagnoses like dyslexia or developmental delays, among other diagnoses, are at risk for struggling to read and write. So they need all the good practice they can get 
And texting definitely gives them the practice at something. Whether that's good practice is still up for debate, in my opinion. But but the reality is that texting is here to stay, whether we like it or not. So the million-dollar question is, how can we make sure our kids have opportunities to develop good reading and spelling skills with all of that in mind. If you're supporting kids with diagnoses that impact their ability to develop literacy skills, whether it be your own kids or whether it be your students you're working with, you obviously know that the amount of practice they get is crucial to their development. However, the digital world may make it difficult for kids to get as much practice as they need. So the question becomes, what do we do about it? The simple answer is that we do the same thing we did before texting was a thing. And we just need to be more diligent about it than ever, given all the distractions that kids have these days. So the next question becomes, how do we do that? The easiest way for me to explain this is to structure it in a way that explains not just how literacy skills are developed, but also how language skills are developed So I'll explain what they are, but then in this episode, I will dive deep into the first one. And I'll get into the others in a future episode. Now I'm going to break it down with simple terms, but also use some technical terms as well, defining them along the way. So if you're a professional, you'll be able to apply it to your practice. But if you don't have specific training, for example, if you're a parent that just wants to help their kid and you don't have specific training in in reading or any particular therapy field, you should be able to follow along as well. I will say that all of the things that I'm going to talk about coming up here in just a couple minutes, I do also explain in the Word Study Toolkit that I mentioned at the very beginning of that resource, not only do I provide some of the tools like flashcards and word lists of some of the concepts that you can work on with your kids, but also I give you some definitions and explain some of the concepts that I'm about to get into in a couple minutes here. So again, to get that resource, you're just going to go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash word study so that you can check that out and learn some of those terms and get some ideas about some things that you can work on with your kids. So now back to the discussion. When we're thinking about supporting readers, especially supporting struggling readers, who are living in a text-speak world and who are doing a lot of texting, we want to consider these things. We want to consider, number one, structured intervention, number two, active and generative use, and number three, integration of skills. So what I'm going to do is, in this episode, I'm going to talk about structured intervention, and then I'll talk about active and generative use and integration of skills in a later episode. So let's get into structured intervention. So I remember getting a list of reading strategies from one of my child's teachers early in her elementary experience. And as much as I really appreciated the teacher and what she was doing and and the gesture of providing some strategies for parents to get them reading with her kids, a lot of the strategies that she gave on that particular list had the potential to add more confusion than clarity. And if you do a Google search of strategies to help your kids, 
learn to read or what to do when you're reading with your kids. There are a lot of strategies, again, that do make things a little bit confusing for not just parents who are trying to help their kids, but even for the people who do have professional training. So the first issue with this list that the teacher gave us was that there were a lot of different strategies that we could try. And so these were the strategies, not just that were things that parents can do for their kids, but strategies that you can teach your kids to do when they come to a word that they don't know. So these are things that were, okay, this is what you tell your kids to do when they come to a word and they're not sure what to do. And a lot of the strategies that were on the list had nothing to do with reading at all. And they were only likely to work in a few situations. So one of the worst things you can do for a struggling reader is to give them a huge list of strategies that they have to sort through and figure out what to do when, and to give them a big list of strategies that may only work some of the time in very contrived situations. I mean, imagine if you were struggling with something and somebody just dumped a whole bunch of things at you at once. And it was like, try this, try this, try this. And it might work in these situations. And and then, or try this other thing. You would just be really overwhelmed and you probably wouldn't use any of them. And, and you might give up. So when we talk about what structured literacy intervention is, it's about teaching kids the right strategies that work most of the time. Because why would you give a child a list of 20 strategies that work some of the time when you can give them just one or two strategies that work all of the time, that are very structured and strategic, that actually help them to know what to do when they come to a word that they don't know. So let me give you a couple examples. And I will start by talking about what not to do and give a couple examples of the, the type of strategy that only works some of the time, if at all. So here are a couple of them that appeared on that particular list that I was mentioning. Uh, one of them was ask an adult for help. Another one was look at the picture for a clue. And then another one was sound it out. So before I talk about these strategies, let me just preface this by saying that there's no shame if you've done any of these things or if you've recommended any of these strategies to the parents of your students or if you've told your kids to do any of these things. They're super common, but there are better ways that we can empower kids to actually learn to read. So let me just talk about the first two examples and why they don't typically work in the context of helping kids read. Let's start with ask an adult for help. Now, of course, asking for help in a broader sense is a good thing to do. We want to teach kids to advocate for themselves. But when we're talking about helping kids decode words, helping kids look at some written symbols on a page and figure out what they mean, this doesn't actually help them do that. There aren't any actual reading skills in this strategy. So while it's in a fine thing to teach your kids to do in other contexts, it doesn't really belong in the category of what to do when you don't know the word. So if I'm going to give someone a swimming lesson, for example, I'm not going to tell them to ask a lifeguard for help 
I'm going to teach them a set of specific swimming skills in a swimming lesson. The same thing applies with reading. What we're doing here is teaching kids to be proactive. What we want to do is teach them how to actually look at a word and figure out what to do before we get to the point of just asking for help. We want to show them the specific things that they can do in order to make sense of written symbols before they go and just say, hey, what's this word? Now, with the look at the picture strategy, this is something that could apply for some basic entry-level readers for a few words here and there, but a large portion of the words that kids actually need to learn how to read can't be portrayed with a picture. It's great to teach kids to look around for information that they need, again, as a broader strategy for navigating the world, But in this specific example, when we want kids to figure out how to make sense of the print that they see on the page, we don't want them to be looking away from the things on the page that's going to help them, which are the letters and the words. So this is a perfect example of a strategy that only works some of the time. And once you get beyond basic nouns, it's really not something that's going to help kids to decode words. So we want to start teaching them the strategies that are going to work right away. When we're teaching kids what's known as word attack strategies, which would be how to figure out what to do when you come to a word, we want to focus on the information that's going to help them do that consistently, not random pieces of information that may only work in a few unique situations. So the next question becomes, what information do kids need in order to make sense of print symbols? And and how do we actually teach kids to do that? Well, the short answer is they need to learn the structure and rules for how words are spelled. When we're talking about structured literacy intervention, we're talking about teaching kids the skills that they need in order to read and write individual words. That's one of the reasons why I created tools like the Word Study Toolkit to help give people the pieces that kids need in order to do that effectively. So what I'm going to do now is talk about three of those essential areas that we need to address in order to give kids the skills that they need in order to decode words. So the three skills that I'm going to talk about are called phonology, morphology, and orthography. And again, these are defined in the Word Study Toolkit as well. Let's start with phonology. Phonology is the study of how languages organize their sounds. It's the study of phonemes, which are the sound units in language that we perceive to have meaning. So in order to be able to learn, kids need to have what's known as phonological awareness. Common phonological awareness skills include things like rhyming, being able to blend sounds together to form words, or being able to segment sounds. So for example, blending would be knowing that the sounds b, a, t make bat, And segmenting would be being able to separate those out. So if I said the word bat, they would be able to say b, at, or they'd be able to tell me that bat starts with b, 
because they're able to segment that first sound in the word. Having those skills and that awareness of phonology is really important to being able to come up with readings and spellings of words. Phonological awareness skills like these can predict later reading performance, and working on these skills strategically with kids also gives kids the skills that they need in order to be able to read and spell. When we're spelling a word, we need to think about the phonemes in the word in order to be able to pair that with the written symbols that represent those sounds. So this is how we remember how to spell words, and it's also how we problem solve and figure out how to read words. So when we tell kids to sound it out as they're reading or spelling, part of what we want them to do is think about the sounds and the letters and then figure out what to do with that information. Our brains are wired for language, but they're not necessarily wired to learn to read and write. So that's why most people need some instruction in order to learn to read, while simply being around people and speaking a language can be enough for them to learn oral language. And this is especially true for people who are diagnosed with disabilities that impact their language processing skills. They definitely need structured intervention to figure out how to read and write. And when we teach kids to read and write, what we're doing is we're layering additional knowledge on top of those language skills that they've already started to develop in oral language. So since they've already started producing speech sounds or phonemes in oral language, what we want to do is layer reading and writing skills on top of that. So this is a good place for me to talk about the sounded out strategy. So I'll go ahead and talk about that here. Now, Telling kids to sound it out when they're struggling is definitely more specific and helpful than just saying, ask an adult or look at the picture. So we're at least getting in the ballpark now because we're paying attention to the right skills. But we can actually get more specific than that. And you know, if you've ever worked with a child that was having a hard time reading or spelling, telling them to sound it out doesn't always help them because they don't really know what sound it out means. The mistake that people sometimes make when they're supporting kids is that they skip right over thinking about the phonemes or the speech sounds, and go right to focusing on the letters. So remember, because we're wired for language, it's easier to start with thinking about the phonemes that kids are already producing before we start to think about the written symbols, which don't necessarily come to them naturally. When we want a child to spell a word, and we go straight to having them memorize sequences of letters without teaching them the meaning behind those letters, then what happens is kids might be able to copy or reproduce a word during a drill-type activity, like writing a spelling list over and over, but then when they try to spell it later in a different context, like when they're writing a story, they don't always remember how to use that word because they have no strategy for recalling the letters in the word, because you just memorized it without thinking about how the sounds and letters relate in that word. So the way that we can fix this issue is that we can make sure to focus on phonological awareness while we're talking about the letters. So we draw attention to the sounds in the word 
first, and then we start thinking about what letters would go along with those sounds. So for example, if you were spelling the word bat, you could say, let's think about the sounds in that word. And you could help the child come up with b, a, t. And then once you've identified the sounds in the word, you can say those sounds and repeat them. You could say those sounds aloud as you're writing the letters and think about what letters and what print symbols would be used to spell that word with taking the sounds into account. That way, the child has a strategy that can be applied to many words instead of just memorizing a string of letters without grasping why those letters are sequenced together in the first place. So instead of saying sound it out, you could take it a step further and say something like, let's think about those sounds. Now let's think about those letters. Now, before I go on, I wanted to just recap where we are in this whole process that I'm explaining here. So what we're talking about now, as we're talking about phonology, is that I am talking about how you would do structured intervention as far as helping kids to build literacy skills. So those three things that we want to think about as we're helping kids build literacy skills and language skills is structured intervention, active and generative use, and integration of skills. So this whole discussion of phonology is really a piece of structured intervention. So there are some other pieces of structured intervention, which are morphology and orthography. So we're getting close to the point where it's it's going to be a good time to wrap up. So what I'm going to do is just give you a brief definition of both of those things. And in the next episode, what I'm going to do is dive into morphology and orthography. And then I will do some follow-up episodes to go into what active and generative use are. And then also what integration of skills is. And I'll also really wrap up how this relates to the initial conversation that we were having about texting and technology. So while phonology is the study of the sound system in a language, morphology is the study of the forms of words known as morphemes. So there are two types of morphemes. There's grammatical morphemes and derivational morphemes. Grammatical morphemes are units and words that change the grammatical structure, like endings on verbs or endings on plurals. And derivational morphemes are the parts of words that change its class or its meaning, like prefixes and suffixes. So I will get into some specific examples of that in the next episode. And then when it comes to orthography, orthography is the study of a spelling system of language. And the reason that this is important is because you may notice that when you're spelling a word, there's not always a one-to-one -one correspondence between the number of letters and the number of sounds in the words. And there are a lot of more difficult spelling patterns that kids need to know. So we do need to take it a step further than just thinking about phonological awareness, even though that is a really important piece. So I will get into more detail about these skills in the next episode. 
But I wanted to wrap up by saying, obviously, when you think about these things, if you have a modality such as texting that has a different set of rules and standards as far as what grammar is acceptable and what spellings are acceptable, obviously, that's going to have an impact on your child's perception of morphology, orthography, and their opportunities to practice those skills. So those are definitely something that we want to consider. And I will go into some more specific examples of how texting might be different and how it might be impacting the opportunities that kids have to practice these skills in the next episode. So what I wanted to do now before we wrap up is just to remind you that I do have more detailed definitions and examples of some of these concepts in the Word Study Toolkit. Specifically, it gets really deep into building morphology and orthography. There are a lot of resources out there for speech pathologists, for for teachers and different reading curriculums, and maybe even some blogs that are pretty parent-friendly that focus on phonological awareness, which again is super important as I talked about today, but there aren't as many resources that focus on morphology and orthography. So that's why I've created the Word Study Toolkit that really dives into these pieces because what I have found is that a lot of kids will struggle with words that are a little bit longer and have more sophisticated spelling patterns. So when it gets beyond the basic words that don't necessarily have a one-to-one correspondence, there isn't as much emphasis on morphology and orthography as there is on those early developing phonics skills. So that's why I really wanted to focus a resource on morphology and orthography as well, so that we could start addressing some of these skills that really help kids be strong readers and spellers. So again, to get access to the Word Study Toolkit and check that out to see what is included, you can go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash word study. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash word study. So before we wrap up, I wanted to remind you that it really helps us out if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also, I wanted to remind you that it really helps us out and other people out who need this information if you share this with your friends. So if you found this episode helpful, if you know someone who is supporting a child or children in learning to read, then definitely share this episode with them. For now, we'll wrap up, but thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in episode 28.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.